Uh, Miss Barbara, what kindly said to me, uh, I can't see her. She's just gone. That's right. Oh, right, that's it, that's fine. Um, kindly said that uh, you would hear a little bit more about uh, my book, so maybe I'll just tell you a teeny little bit, a bit about it now, just before our sermon. Um, it's a book called Women Without Walls. Uh, it can be read by uh, men and uh, women alike. Uh, it's uh, not a great um, sort of learned theological tome with long words. It is very, very easy to read. And um, I wrote it as a sort of after I'd spoken at a conference uh, a while ago on the kingdom of God. And so what it is, is it looks at the, the sort of the, the challenges of the kingdom of God um, through the eyes of the women in Matthew's gospel. So each chapter focuses in on a woman in Matthew's gospel and combines it, twins each woman with a woman from Christian history. Uh, probably there will be women in the book that you probably, oh, well I don't want to automatically say this, but probably you won't have heard of most of them. Um, and so it's amazing when, they, uh, when the two stories get, uh, get twinned, all sorts of exciting things come out of the, of the Bible stories. Um, so, uh, if you uh, look online, you will find that uh, on most platforms, you know, like Book Depository or Blackwells or whatever, um, it, it's about around the £15 mark. However, today, it is available for £10. Um, and so, uh, if you, I'll put a, there's a little box of them uh, uh, out there in the vestibule. So, if you're interested in reading it, do come and see me. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. You can be sure that when you set foot in this church, you will receive a warm welcome. You will be given a warm welcome. Where can you find those words? Oh, on our exactly. On your website. I wrote it this week. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I was looking on your website and there I found those words. So those are the words that actually come from this, this church's website. It's a lovely, lovely uh, thing to say. You know, what, but what's in a welcome? You know, what does welcome mean really? 
today's uh, reading was from the Acts of the Apostles. We had two readings, actually. Uh, one from Acts, a story about what happens in Philippi, and then a reading from uh, the letter to the Philippians. But our story today speaks very powerfully of the church as a place of welcome. And Luke, who was the author of Acts, describes how uh, after Pentecost, you know, the proclamation of the gospel spreads more and more widely from Jerusalem until, guided by a dream, Paul and Silas arrive in Philippi. They arrive there as sowers to sow the seeds of the gospel. And there, in Philippi, the newly converted Lydia welcomes the missionaries into her home. And her home, through doing this, becomes a house church. It becomes the first Christian community in Europe. And uh, this is very much the pattern in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, the, the missionaries uh, proclaim the gospel, they sow the seeds of the gospel, and both they and the message find a home. They don't find a welcome with everyone in every place, but they find one at least somewhere, a place where the good news can be planted and start to grow in the lives of new Christians. So for Luke, a local church, like ours, is first of all a place where the good news of the gospel is welcomed. It's a place for the gospel to be welcomed. It's a place where the good news can stay and rest. It's a staging post in the gospel's whirlwind journey across the known world. But if this new church in Philippi that we hear of today uh, is a staging post, it's not a stopping place. It's also a launch pad for mission, a link in an ever-expanding network. And thanks to the base which the missionaries are given in Lydia's home, the good news spreads. In the episode which follows the one we had today, the opposition that the missionaries encounter leads to their arrest and an imprisonment, and this in turn leads to the conversion of the jailer and his household. And then the missionaries move on to proclaim the gospel in another place, leaving a new church and a mission centre behind them. The proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is dynamic and transformative, always on the move, landing in one place and then moving on. How often 
do you think of Harrow Baptist Church as a resting place for the gospel and a place where the good news can gather the energy and momentum to move somewhere else? And how often do we think of ourselves as resting places for the gospel where the gospel is able to gather, to take root and grow within us and gather momentum and move on. Now when we look again at our scripture for today, we find that in order for the gospel message to be welcomed in Philippi, those who bring it have also to be welcomed. And that means that the welcome offered by Lydia, who lives in Philippi in Greece, has to be a cross-cultural one. Welcome and mission are intertwined. And the gospel message can't take root in Philippi without the divides being bridged. Now, in the ancient world, I don't know whether you, you probably know this already, but anyway, uh, uh, it's, <laughs> I hope it will make you smile to a degree. In the ancient world, a Jewish man would give thanks to God that God had not made him a Gentile, that's someone who's not a Jew, had not made him a woman and not made him a slave. And meanwhile, a Greek man would give thanks that he had not been made a barbarian, that's someone who's not a Greek, and that he had not been made a woman and that he had not been made a slave. So very, very strong dualistic ideas divided people in those days along the lines of race and gender and social status. People were always saying, you know, I'm this and not that. I am this and not that. But the church was to be a revolutionary community which drew people together across those divides. It was a place where people in communion, in, in sharing bread and wine together, would eat together. In a society where people did not eat together, they were divided. The church was to be a place of welcome where everyone could find a home, no matter what language they spoke, no matter their gender or their background 
or the colour of their skin. And when Lydia, the newly baptised businesswoman, invites Paul into her home, Paul and Silas, we are given a picture, first of all, of a woman welcoming the man. It may also be that we're given a picture of an ex-slave welcoming a free man. Um, there's some thinking today to say that the, uh, the work of dyeing cloth, and, and Lydia was a dyer in purple, a seller of purple, um, and that that sort of work was done usually by slaves and that what happened sometimes what were, was that some slaves who were able to be emancipated might leave their original place and go and set up a cooperative somewhere else um, and it, there's a lot of thinking to say that maybe Lydia had done exactly that and that she was actually an emancipated slave who'd kind of set up a cooperative business uh, in Philippi. And of course, very importantly, in this, uh, in this story, we have a picture of a Greek welcoming a Jew. So the very first Christian community in Europe extends across the divides of race. Now, unlike other clubs and groups to which people may belong, the church is not, you know, it's not called to be a community of people all from similar backgrounds and all with similar tastes and all with similar experiences. God calls people together from very different walks of life, welcoming, welcoming them and establishing their unity in Jesus Christ through baptism. Um, as many of you may, may know, um, many of you know that I grew up in the Harrow area and came here when I was a youngster, um, but for many years I was a minister in Wales. Uh, I was minister of a URC Baptist church. Um, I was there in, in the 90s and early 2000s, quite a long time ago now. Um, and we, as a church, had very good relationships with a church that was on the opposite side of the road, you know, welcome to Wales with churches, you know, five churches in the same street. Um, and uh, there were the Presbyterians just across the road. Um, and the minister of the Presbyterian Church um, was originally from Jamaica. And he had come to Britain um, as one of the Windrush generation. And I'd been in Pontypris, I'd been there for ages and ages, years, um, before I discovered that he hadn't always been a Presbyterian but that he had originally 
been a Baptist. And um, when he had arrived in Britain, unlike many of his fellows who'd come with him, he had actually found a very warm welcome uh, in a local church in England, and he had married um, a woman he met there. But um, that was as far as the welcome went. We're now, you know, we're talking obviously quite, quite many, many decades ago. Um, when he applied to be accepted on the list then of Baptist ministers, the powers that be told him that the denomination was not ready to accept a black minister. And praise God, his call was finally recognised by the Presbyterians and he said that the Presbyterians had welcomed him with open arms. But he bore the scars of his experience um, from the Baptist denomination. Now, of course, by the time our church heard this story, it was a story that had happened you know, some decades before that. But, and, but we were appalled. I mean, we were appalled. Now, how could church structures have ever done that? But then, with that story that kind of live in our minds, we started to notice things about our own church building. We had a banner. Um, which had, uh, you know, been there years, affirming that we were one in Christ. And it was a load of interlinked hands on this banner, and we suddenly saw that there was not a single brown or black hand in the picture of the hands. And then we went into the Sunday school room, and we noticed that one of the pictures on the wall, you know, and it had been there so long we'd really stopped looking at it properly, but it showed a Jesus, you know, with blue eyes and flowing blonde hair. And we were forced to ask the question, well, how welcoming a church were we really? So it set us off on an important road and there was a crucially important connection between hearing the witness of our Jamaican brother and starting to think seriously about the welcome of the church. We needed to hear his story. It was so, so important for us. Because welcome is not just about smiling and shaking someone's hand. It's not even just only, you know, it's not even about ensuring openness across all the structures of the church. Vital, vital, vital as that is. It's also about listening to the testimonies of those who experience racism and it's about our repenting 
as churches for the ways in which we have been so conditioned. And it's about recognizing that we continually need to hear those kinds of testimonies if the culture of the church is to become a place in which everybody can thrive and where everybody, each one of us, will be given a warm, warm welcome, as it says on your, well, on your website. If the message that we proclaim and the way we proclaim it is not good news for people of all backgrounds, whoever we are, wherever we come from, whatever we look like, whoever we are, then that message is not truly the good news from God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. Welcome and mission are deeply interconnected. And the greater and the truer the welcome we offer, the more dynamic our sense of mission will be. Amen.